Hello everyone and happy festive season. Welcome back to the Silver Screen podcast for the second of three festive themed episodes that will round out this first series. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with social media or listened to the last episode, then this is the announcement that this week uh, we are reviewing the movie The Princess Bride. And this week I am joined by not one but two guests, uh, regular sort of podcast contributors along with me and good friends of mine that I've come to know. Uh, and why don't you introduce yourself? Uh... Oh, my name's Phil. I exist. Hello. Hello. My name's Phil. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were trying to goad me into doing that, but no, 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 no. <laughs> I actually wasn't. It only happened when you said my name's Phil and I went, <laughs> funny. I'm the long-suffering other half of that thing that was just speaking. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Andy, long-time friend of Michael's. Uh, I did his uh, Doctor Who podcast with him, and we've also appeared on his Star Trek podcast. They have, which uh, you can still catch all of those things on the on YouTube. I'll probably link them. Uh, and you can catch the guys obviously doing the We Pay For Your Floor podcast, their podcast as well. Which is uh, on, hi- not, it's not on hiatus, it's just we finished series one, and then uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on that has prevented series two from happening. We're taking uh, a seasonal break. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're it's, having a seasonal break. We'll be back at some point, probably at the start of the year. It's the holidays, that's fair enough. And there's lots of content there anyway, so people can't uh, can't say you haven't put plenty of episodes out, but they're well worth a watch and a listen. I thought so. you were going to say effort. I was like, ah, uh, we haven't put any effort into it. At all. No, I have. <laughs> you have. Your editing's really good. I think there's a lot of effort involved, yeah. Sometimes. We try to be funny. We do try. I'm always amazed you can just corral three people into one room together, you know, so that's an achievement. Well, it does help that our co-host is our upstairs neighbour, so. True, true, true. Hence the title, We Pay For Your Floor. Indeed. First of all, I just wanted to start by asking how how, um, you know the film, because obviously, I should say, we've all seen this. This isn't something that we came to new, I presume. Is that right? Yeah, this was something that my dad showed me years and years ago. Um, right. I I can't even remember when, but it's it's something that has just always been sort of lurking in the shadows of my mind. It's just little somebody will say something and I'll just suddenly think of a, a reference to it. Um, you know, like Inigo Montoya or um, v- Vasily, inconceivable. Uh, but we'll get into yes. that more later. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, it's just something that seems to have always been there. That's fair enough. And uh, I won't judge you for your particular Count Rugen choice of... Uh, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? We'll, we'll, we'll get more music. into that later as well, but he is one of the best characters. All of the characters in this film are great, but, he, but for me, he is one of the best characters. That's fair enough. Well, it is Christopher Guest who, uh, yeah, enough said, really, isn't it? Really? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So, and what about you then, Andy? What was your history with the Princess Bride? So, I kind of like I was kind of like Phil. I was introduced to it when I was a kid. I don't fully remember why. I just know my dad put this film on for me and my sister. We both absolutely loved it, and it became one of our most watched films as kids. Uh, and I don't know why my dad, or, or I, I don't know what, how anyone could assume that I wouldn't end up growing up gay, given the fact that I had Wesley on my screen so often um calm down <laughs> oh come on carrie elwes in that film is just 
Oh, that, it was definitely a sexual awakening. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, Fair just do it, lo- loved it as kids, watched it many, many, many times, and then as I've grown up, I still love it. Have you read the book uh, by any chance? I, I do own the book, but it's one of the many that I've bought along with, like, anytime there's a movie that I respond to or a film that comes out, like, I've bought Dune recently and stuff, and it gets chucked on a pile that I'm like, I'm going to read that. I really am. And I'm, I'm never going to get around to I, it. I, will, <laughs> I hope just, I can. Just I think it's a good moment to bring it up. I do have a fun story about the book. Um, okay, go ahead. Just It's not even necessarily to do with the story. It's just how I obtained the book was really quite sweet. Uh, okay. I was in, when I was in sixth form, so what, or, or college, as some people go to, but I went to sixth form. Uh, I was in my music class and we were discussing old films while we were doing our work. Uh, and like, you know, our favourite... It might have just been our favourite films, actually. I don't think it was old films. Uh, and I mentioned that to the class and my teacher, because we were all, like, what, 17 at this point, so we were all older. Uh, right. I just mentioned that, oh, yeah, one of my favourite films is The Princess Bride, I've grown up with it. And then me and my teacher, who I already got on very well with, just went on this like massive conversation about how much we both love the Princess Bride. Turned out he that's also one of his favorite films. Uh, and then the net this was on the Friday, and on the Monday I went to my my music tech class, and my teacher turned around and said, "I've got you something." And he pulled the Princess Bride book out of his bag, and he turns out he'd been to a car boot sale that weekend, found someone selling it for like a quid, and he just bought it for me. That's awesome, awesome. Which is just really sweet. That's cool. Uh, oh, I that's have cool. read it. It's great. I love it. I've, I know of some differences because in the sort of in the course of my research for the episode and stuff, and then when I was learning about the film, um, I've learned some sort of the differences and uh, some of the similarities. And obviously, it's the same author who wrote the screenplay for the movie as the writer of the book. So yes. there's that as well. I, so yeah. I also love that because I would have assumed that the the, the set piece spoilers for when we start talking about the film. The set piece of the film is that it's a granddad reading the mm. the book of the Princess Bride to his grandkid. It's set as like an old fairy tale book, but I love the fact that it's the same in the actual book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like in, yeah. in the Princess Bride book that exists that you can read, it is exactly the same set piece of a granddad reading the book to his grandkid. It's really sweet, and I love that they kept that in. Oh, that's very nice. That's sweet. Um, I have a, a, a bit of a story about that as well, which I may as well drop now, because <laughs> why not? Which is that um, if you haven't seen uh, the, the, there's something called, and I can't remember what it was called, but it's called The Princess Bride Redone or something or other that of all places came to Quibi <laughs> last year. Um, the very short-lived, brief social media uh, type of site thing and it was during the pandemic so it was a bunch of celebrities that had acted out like scenes from the princess bride but just like in their own back garden or their own home or whatever um and i thoroughly recommend it it was the only thing i watched on quibi during my free like three month trial or whatever it was but it was so great it's spotting the celebrities is really cool and everything I and it's on youtube somewhere because at the start I mean, of the note, all of the original cast that are still alive reprised their roles didn't they no um there was Carrie Elwes, I think, appears but playing either Rugen or Humperdinck. He changes roles. Uh, and Rob Reiner's obviously involved, uh, the director. He he makes an appearance. And that's the sweet thing that I wanted to mention. The reason that I mentioned it is that the granddad that's telling the story is his dad, Carl Reiner, and it was one of his last appearances. Oh, um, that's sweet. So it's kind of really sweet on that level as well. <laughs> Wasn't Pat um, Lucas in it, or am I misremembering that? 
it's possible. I don't remember him being, but it's entirely. I, I, I remember when it was first being announced, and they were coming out with all the cast announcements. I'm sure Matt Lucas was in it. I'll have to check. Fair enough. Um, let me just say, yeah, it was directed by Jason Reitman, who obviously recently directed Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I say it was directed by him. It basically means he just pieced together the home video stuff that people sent in. It's called Home Movie: The Princess Bride. Uh, as I search now on the internet uh, videos, let's see if it is on YouTube or anything. Yes, it is. The Princess Bride home movie full. One hour, seven minutes. So there you go. <laughs> Everyone, follow the link that I'll put in here. And, uh, yeah. Aha! Uh-huh. So, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. There's quite a few people. So there's Josh Gad. Yeah. J.K. Simmons. There's the specific Oh, wait. One so a, a bunch of people played the same role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're that's filming, fun. like, different parts of the scenes and stuff. But that's part of the fun is, like... Um, for example, the thing that sticks in my head is Jack Black appears as the Dread Pirate Roberts for one of his scenes, but it's the scene where he's climbing the Cliffs of Insanity. But obviously, this was the middle of the pandemic and everyone was in lockdown, so it's just Jack Black like laying spread eagled on his garden floor, pretending to <laughs> climb up a rope and yeah. sort of shouting the lines that are, that awesome scene back and forth to whoever it is that's playing uh, Inigo Montoya. I think it's Pedro Pascal at that point. So oh my god, they got. Chris Pine? Wow. Yeah, there's some big Sarah names. Silverman plays the granddad at one point. Oh, that's great. Yes, she does, yeah. <laughs> With full-on, like, moustache and everything as well. It's great. And, uh, yeah. They, yeah, they get, Cariel, I mean, yeah, Cariel was appears as Prince Humperdinck. That's what I thought, yeah. They get um, Jennifer Garner to do the um, the lady who boos as well with the most ridiculous Boo! homemade old age Boo! makeup. <laughs> I lo- She's credited as the ancient booer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. All, but yeah, uh, so yeah, this film obviously got a reputation. It's pretty famous because there's also been sort of charity table reads and stuff that you can, that they're not available to watch, but you can read about. And that was something where I think most of the living cast were involved and they just recast the roles that they couldn't get them in, obviously. Um, so yeah. Uh, one of the other reasons I thought you guys might like this film, by the way, was that it was partly filmed in Sheffield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You did know that then? Yes. Yes. Um, like Sheffield and around the hills of the Peak District is where a lot of the uh, chasing, um, especially at the beginning, uh, sort of took place. And I, I can't remember it was, it's what was the the castle in like, the city of Florin. It, it's somewhere in Derbyshire, if I remember rightly. I remember reading um, it's an actual castle, but it doesn't look as nice because they'd added bits to it in special effects yeah, or something. Yeah, bits up on it. Yeah. The story of how I was introduced to this film is a weirder one because I didn't watch it as a kid and I didn't really know anything about it, except my first exposure to it was when I was at university, there was a, um, a movie quiz, sort of one-armed bandit type machine in the pub we always went to. And it would just spout out random movie quotes. And the ones that I didn't recognize were almost all from The Princess Bride. So before I'd even seen the film, I had like in my head the constant ching ching, inconceivable, or whatever, you know, <laughs> just within like an electronic voice from the corner of a bar. And I was like, what is that movie? I've got to find it out. And uh, never got around to it. And then it was about four or five years ago. Um, as I was discussing film for whatever reason, as I often do, being a film study student and a sort of self-confessed cinephile, uh, a good friend of mine called Beverly Rhodes, who uh, she grew up a few doors from me, basically in my hometown, asked if I'd ever seen The Princess Bride. And I said, no, I haven't. And uh, I'm a bit reluctant to, because it's one of those films I assume like 
I've had this experience with the Goonies, for example, where if somebody sees it in their childhood, they think it's great. And then I watch it as an adult and think it's not that good. So I was kind of dreading that. Um, but yeah, Beverly was insistent that I watch it. She she thought it would be my particular kind of thing and, and I would really enjoy it. So as I say, I haven't grown up with it like you guys, but I have seen it now two or three times. Uh, so yeah. And I'll, I'll leave it at that so as to avoid spoilers. I swear to God, if we get to the end of this and it turns out you hated it, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll get to it, I'm sure. So, um, yeah. Oh, and uh, what I probably should have said up top as well is that I, initially I had said last week that this wasn't really a Christmas movie. Uh, but in the course of my research, I found out that it absolutely is. Uh, yeah, at the start of we... the... Yeah, go ahead. And I think Andy, uh, one of us mentioned it uh, when we were we really watching it. Uh, that you mentioned that it was a Christmas movie and then I mentioned, yeah, the Santa that's behind the granddad is fucking terrifying. Well, that's <laughs> it. I mentioned it because I'd forgotten that the scenes with the granddad and the grandkid, I forgot they took place during, like, the Christmas period. So I never was knew, a, yeah. The, the granddad turned up and, like, there's snow out the window and he gives him a present and he's got, a, like, a tree in his room and a Santa in his room. I was like, huh, I forgot this film was kind of a Christmas film. Yeah, so it does, it, it completely unintentionally, because we'd planned to review it anyway, but it does kind of fit the theme, which I like, so that's kind of sweet. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's Mike, the... Mike has planned to do this episode purely because he, he really wanted me, can, can I tell this story, because I find it quite funny. Yeah, go ahead. He, Mike, Mike knows that I'm not a very big film person, I just don't really care for films, I get bored too easily, I can't, <laughs> I struggle to invest like up to two to three hours of my life into something that I don't even know if I'm going to like by the end, and that anxiety just makes you go, nope, don't want to watch that. Um, yeah. So when Mike was saying, oh, will you come on the film podcast, I said, only if you're going to review The Princess Bride, because it's a film that I love. So he went, okay. <laughs> so then he planned for us <laughs> yeah. to do this. So I was like, okay, I guess I've got to do it now, haven't I? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you opened yourself up for it, so there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you never mentioned until very recently that it half of the reason for it at least was the the simping over Carrie Elwes. As, oh as no, Wolf. no, I, I adore the film outside of that, but like, <laughs> Car Car yeah, I do, I do simp over Carrie Elwes as Wesley because wow. I can uh, I can only assume that the reason that a film might like it is that I th I think it it probably is his kind of humor. It strikes me as it that there's some of that surreal kind of quirkiness to it. I have no idea what you mean, sir. Also, Phil's, <laughs> Phil is basically just a delightfully camp version of Count Rugen. Count Rugen's always like already delightfully camp, though. To be fair, so <laughs> fair enough. We are going to come to blows because, uh, yeah, as you can see, I'm repping in a go Montoya, so that's not going to end well. <laughs> I did want to briefly mention the um, the framing device because I think it's genius for this movie. It kind of adds to the fairy tale feel, which, as you've mentioned, Andy, is it's, it's present in the book as well. Um, but again, if you haven't seen it, there's uh, the movie Once Upon a Deadpool, which is like a recut of Deadpool 2, uh, which, let's think, what's the nicest way to say taking the piss? Parodies this, this framing <laughs> device um, by having Fred Savage reprise his role as the kind of guy, the, the grandson ill in bed, and then Deadpool reading the plot of Deadpool 2, but then skipping over the more adult parts, so it allows it to get like a, a lesser rating and stuff. Um, but it's just great that they were clever enough to use that, and it's kind of, yeah, it, it's the same exact framing thing, and the jokes are just spot on with it, and it also you know, meant that I was... My favourite part about all of that is that Ryan Reynolds probably came up with it. Or at least the moment someone mentioned it to him, immediately jumped on it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he plays it to perfection. And it did. Uh, it means that I did actually have a chance to watch Deadpool 2 with my little nephew, who at the time was like 11, which obviously he couldn't watch the original cut. But because it was specifically recut to avoid all that stuff and have it just be Deadpool going, you don't want to hear that part. Let's skip over that. <laughs> so, yeah, quite clever. And um, just as a before we get into the actual thrust of the narrative and stuff, just as a quick note, um, I think there's a, a lesson for sort of how to construct your film perfectly. In here, which is that as uh, as I was reading about the film and realized myself, all the main characters that you get to know are introduced in the first seven minutes. So there's no kind of waiting around to meet them and stuff, Yeah, uh, which is good. I think the pace of it is just, of the film is brilliant. You would not, it just whips by. It's only like an hour and 40 or something anyway, but yeah. It does it's... not feel like it. No, it not at all. It doesn't feel like it at all. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but skipping ahead slightly, but like... <laughs> After, uh, I think it'll have been once, uh, after the Battle of Wits, I think it was when I checked the timer, after the Battle of Wits scene, it felt like we'd been watching for maybe 10 minutes, and <laughs> it's been like nearly 35. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, yeah, it moves at such a good pace, and it never seems extraneous, so I will say that for it. Um, yeah. So to get into it then, I'm probably just going to end up quoting a lot of sort of lines that I thought were funny or whatever and stuff as well. But the first one that I've noted is uh, when it gets into the sort of family history and the sweet sort of granddad with the book and everything. I really do like the line, when I was your age, television was called books. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I find that funny, but I really do. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, And they couldn't have picked a better person to play the granddad either. I was just, that was my next note is that Peter Falk is brilliant. Columbo himself. Uh, yes. In that role, he's really, really good. I think everybody is, but yeah, special mention for him for killing that role. It's uh, basically a thankless narrator on page, but he just makes it something special, I think. And uh, yeah, but when he's transitioning, I noticed the music for the first time, and I did want to make uh, a shout out to Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits, who did all the music for this film. And uh, I knew I recognised that name! <laughs> Do you guys know the story of um, the the one requirement that he gave to Rob Reiner to do the music? No, go on. It's an interesting story, and uh, he he swears he was joking, but he says to, that when Rob Reiner approached him, he said he would do it, provided that Rob Reiner puts the baseball cap that he wore on in this is Spinal Tap somewhere in the movie. Um, <laughs> so it's actually uh, on on the Fred Savage's bedstand or whatever behind him. The exact baseball cap, so he actually That's did wonderful. do it, and That's uh, yeah, brilliant. again, Mark Knopfler has since said he was only joking, but eh, he got his own way, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. And then, um, it surprised me how quickly a lot of the kind of setup of, of Wesley and Buttercup's relationship is, and the whole idea of I thought it took way longer to introduce that when he says, as you wish, he's really saying, I love you, kind of thing. It's, I mean, it's kind of literally right at the start. It is, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. They set the scene, introduce the, the main characters, and then just let the Salinas happen. It, it gets gets yeah. going really quickly. It does, absolutely. But uh, aside from all of that, though, which again, great performances, dialogue, and everything, uh, shout out to, again, Rob Reiner for the gorgeous direction when he has them framed against like the sunset and all of the various sort of moments of framing and the, the great sort of countryside shots and stuff in the film, I think. Yeah, are... I, I made a note that I love the opening establishing shot of um, uh, the the hills that it has. Yes. It just, it just looks so pretty. It really does. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> this is again, a bit of a deep dive, but 
it's it's at this point in the film I think that it gets into how Buttercup is officially called a princess when she loses Wesley at some point. And uh, again, in the course of my research, I found out that this is a plot point from the book that's dropped from the movie, but that it does basically involve where Humperdinck can choose whoever he wants to marry, but she has to be a princess. So he kind of just makes yeah. her a fake princess of a fake land. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah, which is fun and funny, but not in the movie. But yeah, Robin Wright's good looking enough to be a princess, so we'll let it slide, I guess. <laughs> That's just me uh, simping over. Sorry, it's a bit of a straight relationship situation, Andy. It's fine. You, you can simp over Robin Wright. I can simp over Carrie Elwes. It's fine. Phil can simp over, I don't know, Andre the Giant. What? <laughs> I, also, um, I also made a note of the fact that most of the cast of the film are using English accents, even though almost none of them are actually English, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. Where's Carrie? Carrie Elwes is, I want to say Welsh, but I might be wrong. I think he's American, isn't he? I thought it, so. Is he American? I think I so. I could be wrong. I'm going to look it up. I, yeah, this film is like very, very incredibly... At least the feel of it is incredibly British. Yeah, which is weird because the director's American and, like I said, most of the cast are as well, but... Um, no, he, no he is English. He is English. Oh, Carrie Elwes is? Yeah, okay. Carrie Elwes is English. He's from London, yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense, I guess. That's fair enough. But I know that Robin Wright isn't and... She's American, yeah. Yeah, but she's putting on like a fake accent. And obviously Christopher Guest isn't, although he is now a lord of some place in England, <laughs> weirdly. Uh, I know Andre the Giant was French. Yeah, and obviously Mandy Patinkin is doing an accent, but he is, I think, from like New York or Brooklyn or something like that as well. So, But um, yeah, it was just, it, it gives you that feel, doesn't it? The English accent of the whole fairy tale idea, I think. So that's kind of fun. Um, it makes it more magical. It does, it does. And uh, I got kind of carried away watching, so the next note that I've made was, uh, it's when we meet the, the sort of trio of Vicini, Fesic, and Inigo, and uh, you get them doing that sort of daft rhyming game. And I was like, this should really annoy me, because it comes out of nowhere, yet it kind of fits the fairy tale sort of theme and tone, and it's really quite funny <laughs> as well. And then, and then Fesic literally calls them out for it anyway. It, not Fesic, Vizzini literally Vizzini. calls them out for it in the scene. He's like, will you stop doing that rhyming? I love that because I love that um, Fezzik, Andre the Giant's response back to him is just to keep doing it in the way that, like, that's what would happen if you had kids that were doing that in a really annoying way. So I do love that line of, um, you better stop the rhyming, I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? (laughs) It's it's so stupid, but it's exactly the kind of thing you can imagine seeing, you know, so. One thing that I I made a lot of notes about this, and I'll I'll just say it now to kind of get it out of the way, is one thing that I adore, have always adored about this film, but especially re-watching it with the intention of reviewing it, is one of the reasons the set piece of the granddad reading the book to the grandkid is so clever is because it allows the film to get away with being ridiculous and absurd and like, but like, and not take itself too seriously because it's established that the universe that this story is taking place in is in a book. So anything yeah, can happen. Nice. I like that it establishes that so that your the audience can then just sort of relax and go, oh, how the fuck did those horses get up on the cliffs of insanity? It's a book. It's it's fine. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's a fairy tale. Like, exactly. That's the greatest mystery of this entire story. Is how did they get the horses up there? I want to imagine that they all. They tied ropes around each individual horse and hoisted <laughs> each one up the cliffs of insanity. And then, you know, all the all the soldiers as well, each one slowly up the cliffs, and they still managed to catch up with them. 
given the tone and everything of the movie, I can fully believe there's probably a scene where they just found that there was a quicker way to go, like a ramp that took you up there somewhere <laughs> around the right-hand side or something. <laughs> yeah, just like a, a big wooden sign with an arrow pointing shortcut this way. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And I'd be fine with that. Because yeah. I, I did notice the first for the first time when I was watching this, I was like, hang on, who tied the rope at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity in the first place? And I was like, you know what? I'm not supposed to care about this, so I'm just not going <laughs> to. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. It does not matter is the answer. Um, awesome. Uh, you'll probably be able to speak to this more than me, Andy, but I believe that the shrieking eels are actually sharks in the book. If I remember rightly, yes. Yeah, because the book has some quite sort of uh, intense moments of uh, violence and stuff as well that aren't present in the movie. But the changes, I think, work. It makes it make sense. It, it has been quite a few years since I've read it, so I'd have to... And I've seen the movie way more, so I, yeah. it might, I might struggle to remember the exact differences, but I believe they were sharks, yes. That's fair enough. And, uh, yeah, I, I do like the way that it cleverly cuts to the framing device in the moment of tension, um, you know, as well, when, when the granddad's like, she doesn't get eaten, by the way, just after you've seen <laughs> kind of... It's, it's a clever way of doing that. He's looking all nervous. He's like, I'm not scared. I'm not worried, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it's a way to give you that old-fashioned serial-type cliffhanger without actually doing it, and I think it's very clever. Um, yeah. Definitely. So then we get we get to the, the Cliffs of Insanity scenes, which, again, I made a note, yes, I do know they're obviously dummies from the, the sort of distant shots of Andre the Giant, because, again, when I was looking it up, I found out he actually had, like, a severe back injury. He couldn't really carry anyone. Um, but, again, I don't really care. <laughs> so, uh yeah, it, it doesn't matter that Princess Buttercup is maybe wobbling around a little bit on the back of it. <laughs> well, yeah, he's not going to carry three people, is he? Really? I mean, it's understandable. Uh, it kind of just adds to the tone of the whole thing, I think. So, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. This this is this has some of the best lines, like, one after the other as well. So, um, Vecini constantly using inconceivable, and then in it goes line. You keep using that word. I do not think I it means... Think you, it's what you yeah. think it means. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've used that on so many occasions in arguments. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I'm sure that's a very well-used gif on Twitter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, uh, I started doing an inconceivable count in my notes and then gave up after, like, the third. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a heck of a lot. To say um, he's, only got, he's only in, like, the first third of the film. Holy shit, does he say inconceivable a lot. <laughs> that's another thing. It's It struck me as, like, when I first re-watched it for, after watching it the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, he's killed off relatively early. It's like a third of the way into the movie. For some reason, I had visions of him being in the movie way beyond that point because Wallace Shawn's really great in that role as well. So he absolutely sells every moment and I think his presence is, is more than that. So kudos to him for that, I would say. Um, it's just the whole exchange. I'm not going to talk going to it, but the whole exchange between Inigo and the man in black, the shouting to each other and the kind of promises and then um, the story of his father's slaughter and how he got the scars and the first time we hear, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, etc. <laughs> I so I put uh, for my notes for this I put um uh, actually because yeah, I I've actually been reading my notes I've just been going over what you said let me just go through uh, a couple of things that I really liked in this film were I love that the tension I love that when the rope's being cut it's like meant to be building and the music implies that it's you know it's building up the tension it's actually it's meant to be this big oh is he gonna survive and then once we get that release of the tension instead of it being like a shock value it's just played for comedy. This film yeah. does that a lot, and I really like it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the way that the way that it completely undercuts when he's shouting down, and they're having like a an almost bitchy exchange. It's like, well, you know, you could help if you want. Well, uh, I promise you'll get up here safely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's uh, um, it's 
Yeah. A pull, uh, oh, what was, what was, uh, let me find my notes. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I really like the line, only because it's, it feels very resonant with today's times. When Fezzik said, uh, oh, where was it? People in masks cannot be trusted. And I was like, holy shit, anti-maskers were around in the medieval times. <laughs> I made the same note, and I made the note later on as well, that when um, the Dread Pirate Robert says, no, I just think masks are very comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. I was like, ouch, if only <laughs> yeah. you knew. <laughs> I said the same thing. Um, I put, oh yeah, so then, then we're coming up to, yeah, I put, this is possibly the best scene in the film. Not just the climbing, but just the whole... Mm, that's sequence, all seen, yeah. including the sword fight but we'll get to yep. there so but this yeah, is possibly yeah. the best scene in the film the banter between Wesley and Inigo is just phenomenal it's really funny and entertaining from Wesley climbing the cliff to the, to the sword fight this whole sequence is just set, uh, spectacular and then I put my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die what an icon yep uh, I agree with everything then, you just said <laughs> and then since we're going into it uh, I put speaking of the sword fight is this the best sword fight in similar history and I put Jill Bearup certainly has it up there. She's a YouTuber who does uh, stage uh, I was sword about fighting. To mention Jill, yes. Yeah, she does oh. uh, stage sword fighting as like a hobby, and she has a YouTube channel where she goes through fight scenes in films and describes, you know, either if they work really well or if they don't work, why they don't work. Uh, and awesome. she regularly praises this as one of the best sword fights in cinema. That's uh, cool. I, I, I did do a deep dive into this sword fight as well, because, of course, I did. <laughs> it's me. Um, and I found out that um, the stunt coordinator who kind of helped to choreograph the whole thing is Bob Anderson, uh, which is a name that you might know if you're a bit of a geek, because he also did the lightsaber fights in the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, and he's worked with, like, Errol Flynn and some of the swashbuckling heroes of that age. Um, and, yeah, what impressed me is that Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin are doing every part of that fight except the flip that, that yeah. Inigo does. Uh, that's the only part that uses a stunt person. The rest of it is all entirely them. So that's dang impressive. And yeah, again, it's just such a good sword fight. And I love... And it, even, it, like love you said, even more impressive knowing that it's them and not stunt doubles from nearly That's what all I mean, yeah. They had to learn it, and apparently that's the thing. They were... It's, it's uh, reported by people that were behind the scenes and stuff that every minute they weren't filming, these two were practicing fencing so that they could actually get it right. So the effort's been put in, and I think That's it shows cool. It. That's yeah. so cool. It is. And, uh, yeah, just a couple of great dialogue scenes. From before the start of the fight, just to go back a bit, I really do love the line. I think it's hilarious. You seem like a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem like a decent, like fellow, a decent I hate fellow. I hate to die. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, just the, the, the complete change of... Um, uh, there's something you should know about me. I'm not left-handed, and there's something you should know about me. I'm not either, which I absolutely love because there's an episode. This is a slight, slight detour, but there's an episode of Star Trek, which Robin Hood type scenario, and uh, the sheriff of Nottingham is basically attacking Captain Picard, playing Robin Hood, and goes, "You should know something about me. I'm the best swordsman in all of Nottingham." And Picard starts kicking his ass and basically responds, "There's something you should know about me. I'm not from Nottingham." <laughs> <laughs> It's clearly a reference to this Princess Bride scene. Uh, I, I love how that is used to build up the tension as well, because you, you've uh, got it, it looks as though an ego is about to be beaten, then he switches, and then the tension builds again as it looks as though he's about to beat. Yeah, completely. Roberts, and then it switches again. Is This is great. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just to finish that note off as well, I put uh, a follow-up. Uh, yeah, is this the best song in similar history? 
It's just affection from start to finish. The angles, the exciting changes in the set pieces while still staying in the same location, the constant mm. one-upping of each other, the twists of them both using the non-dominant hands to start with. It's just superb. I adore the absurdity and comedy of it all, and I like how it leans into just how ridiculous it is and how like over dramatic it is. I also like this is this is a, to do with like a reason I like the film. I just find it funny that you can tell when the flip happens coming off. You know when they swing on the bar, mm. uh, when Wesley swings on the bar, you can literally see the crash mat move. <laughs> yeah, there's a few Oops. times where you can see like mats or things like that. That have been covered with sand and stuff, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. I can't say I noticed at that point, but then I was so just impressed with the the actual physicality of it. I was like, oh well, I'm fine with it. And I did read something that somebody, because as I say, I was reading about the film and somebody had nitpicked about like when Wesley lands, he's further away from his sword than when he reaches back to grab it. And I'm like, oh, who cares? That's really pathetic nitpickery, really, isn't it? Like, of course, it was not the same moment. It was a different shot. You know, the director's not going to know exactly how far he was. But anyway. Yeah, plus, it's a really cool sword fight. Yeah, exactly. No matter how far away the sword was, he got the sword. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Just roll with it. Yeah, that's absolutely right, yeah. But yeah, so um, we, we basically find out here that the prince has taken the presumably easy detour and he's tracking uh, the princess who's been kidnapped. And uh, then we get the basically the, the second stage of the gauntlet for the, the Dread Pirate Roberts to face Fezzik, um, which isn't necessarily my best scene in the film, my favourite scene, but I do like that at least it explains that He's able to overcome him just because Fezzik's not used to fighting one-on-one. He's not used to taking on like 20 or 30 men at a time, whatever it is. Um, so at yeah, least there's kind of some... Really used to the one-on-one one on one combat anymore. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I I agree it's weaker than the sword fight scene, but I still love it. And I particularly love the line where, um, uh, uh, I think it's when they first agreed to just do it like hand-to-hand combat. So like he puts down his sword. Fezzik puts down the rock and Wesley turns around and goes, yeah, we'll kill each other like civilised people. Yes, I do love that they, they at least, yeah, they make Fezzik kind of more moral in that way because he's instructed just, you know, Smash said with a rock and he doesn't and says, I deliberately missed because I don't want to, you know, we should do this morally. And then like you said, the joke about, yes, let's kill each other like civilised men, you know, which is, uh, yeah, it's great. But then and we get even, you... even Oh, sorry. Um, no, no, go ahead, even, go ahead. Uh, even before the fight when... Uh, Vasily runs off with the princess and tells him what to do when the man in black comes over the hill, hit him with a rock. He's like, my way doesn't sound very sportsman-like. Yeah, sportsman-like. I just love that he sort of calls it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. So then we get to the next best scene in the film, (laughs) which there's a lot of them, and that's the sort of scene with um, Vasini in a battle of wits, I suppose. Oh, it's so (laughs) iconic. It's iconic and it's so good. Wallace Shawn is just absolutely captivating <laughs> delivering this. It's so, I could watch this just on repeat as a perfect example of like, there's not even anything that you could flag as being that funny or a particularly great joke, but it's just, it's all in the way it's played by the two of them, whether it's Carrie Elwes playing it dead straight or just Wallace Shawn going ridiculous with the whole, like, I haven't even gotten started. You could also presume that. <laughs> just the constant back and forth, back and forth is that I'm just getting started. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> or even the stuff about, you know, you've fallen victim to a classic blunder, the most famous of which is don't get involved in a land war in Asia. Yeah, but yeah also... that's so funny and so random. I love it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well. Don't go against a Sicilian, Sicilian when death when is on, death death is on the line. line. <laughs> it, oh. This is just such a quotable film and so good. Yeah. So. Just, just 
just watching him just descend into madness is so funny. Absolutely. And then, again, the way he sells the pratfall of, like, he's laughing hysterically and then uh, you only think I did. And then he just drops down dead in that comical way is brilliant. And I, I also love... I think it's like halfway through the line when his when his deductions are starting to get more and more ridiculous. And rather than in phase, Wesley just goes, clearly you have a very dizzying intellect. Yeah, that's what I mean. The way, the way Carrie L. West plays the straight man in that scene is underrated because it's probably got to have been difficult not to at least smile or giggle or something at that point. And he's like, he's having absolutely none of it. And I really do. I, I should not like it as sort of a logical film brain, but I love the fact that it's all completely undercut anyway, because then the resolution at the end, the reveal is, oh, they were both poisoned. I've just developed a tolerance to it. So it really didn't matter anyway. It's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, yeah. oh, it's wonderful. And then leading on directly from that, when the prince finally catches up with them mm. and he, he sniffs it and he's uh, he's doing the of each encounter like with um an ego and he's like there was a duel here and then where um, he's following Fezzik the footsteps was, he's following the footsteps and then he gets to where the, the battle of wits was which was a lovely set up picnic i don't know how you yeah, had enough time to set up that marvelous li- little spread uh while all this <laughs> is going on um yeah, quite... but then he just takes a sniff of the Iocane uh, powder. powder. Is it? It's Iocane. I bet my life on it. And I, I just love that either he is such a ridiculous character that he knows what this weird powder is, even though it's odorless, or he just knows what it is because it's odorless. But either way, yeah. I just, for some reason, love that. Yeah, and I, d- I did think- forget to say that earlier. I also like that part when he it, it, Wesley hands it to Vasidi and says, smell that. I don't smell anything. What you're not smelling is because... Yes. <laughs> it's just yeah. a little touch. <laughs> I, I was going to say is um, one of the things I love uh, about the film, uh, or one of the things I love about that particular moment is that knowing this film, it was completely intentional as well. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was absolutely part of the joke. It wasn't just an oversight on the script. No, not at all. It was. It was. I, w- I would feel like that probably was scripted that way. It's that kind of humor, isn't it? So, absolutely. Um, so then we get to the case scene where it's basically Buttercup and the Dread Pirate Roberts, and it's kind of revealing the secrets of it as he sort of betrays his jealousy about the fact that she seems to have taken someone else and whatever else. And again, iconic line that I've heard many a time, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great line. The music in this scene again, shouting out to Mark Knopfler is great. And these two, I think, genuine chemistry, that they're just great performances. So her sort of like anguished, increasing sort of annoyance. And then, you know, I, I, I... would rather be dead without my love and you can die too. And then just the reveal as he's gradually falling down the hill from being pushed, as he says, as you wish. Just perfect. It's just so well-timed. And, and then the the absolute ridiculousness of her, rather than just running down after him, just deciding to throw herself down the hill <laughs> yeah. as well. Roll after him, exactly. It's so <laughs> stupid and I love it. Awesome, yeah. Um, Again, I... I, I for some reason in my head, I had it as being a bit longer before they revealed who he was and everything. But I do like that, uh, like I said, the, the pace keeps going and you're getting lots of signposts where the story is going, whether it's from the narrator or the kind of prince tracking them or uh, even them sort of saying, well, the next stage is we have to get through the fire swamps or whatever. Um, and I was and- really confused at this point 
And okay. Andy will attest to this because I, I think I've mentioned to you something that for some reason I, I thought happened, but clearly didn't and logically just shouldn't happen in the film. But okay. with Humperdinck and Rugen and all the, the, the uh, guards that were sort of tracking the princess, I, for some reason, have an image in my head of them getting to that point and then all the horses rolling down the hill as well. <laughs> I don't I believe that's ever happened. happened. <laughs> I know it didn't. But for some reason, every time I watch it, I just think that's what's going to happen next. And it wouldn't be out of the realm of reality to just for that to be the next scene, really. But... That can that can be in your extended version, along with the horses climbing the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going to get a, a princess bride horses cut, where you <laughs> just follow the horses' journey throughout the story. Yeah, we start yeah, in the, the stable. Release the fact, English cut. <laughs> in fact, it's it's going to be it, it's it's all interlinked because Wesley was a farm boy, and yeah. there's going to be a horse that watched them. It was with them at the very beginning, and you follow the horses' stories throughout the um, the tale. We can, yeah, and we can find out they're the same ones that Andre the Giant gets at the end from just off is screen. It, is, this like, is this like that meme of George Lucas making a Star Wars show out of any minor character he can get his hands on? We get prin- the Princess Bride that follows one of the horses on the farm that Wesley works on. Absolutely, yeah, the horse cut. It's gonna, it's gonna and be. And then we, we find out that near the end, when Fezzik was in that Burning Man suit to scare the guards away, we turn out it was actually a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it, was the, it was the horse getting involved in the plan. <laughs> actually, I'm a horse. And, I'm then, and, then at the, and then at the end, when Fezzik's there with the horses to take them away, it was actually the horse that brought them to him. <laughs> yeah, the horses found Fezzik and just dragged him there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Great <laughs> uh, Speaking of, uh, sort of amusing moments, what did you guys make of the scene with um, the, the kissing parts and the sort of distaste of the Fred Savage character with like, oh, the kissing parts again, get over it kind of thing. What did you make of that? I, I liked it. I thought it was funny and it was great I, how I it like came it. It's, it's especially for just quick moment of humour breaking up um, the, the action. Just, mm. uh, especially I, I assume I can speak for the room here, but we've, we've all been kids at that point. Where we're like, yeah. kissing. Yeah. It's just, it's just nice, lighthearted silliness, which is perfect. It is, but I like the way that it's completely undercut and it shows you how involved that he's got into it. Because at the very end, at the callback of it is, I don't mind so much. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. You can finish the story, please. Yeah, exactly. It's really sweet. So uh, that's awesome. And again, just a quick shout out of dialogue. That's. Again, I don't know why it's funny. It's so basic, but it really is. So, uh, are the fire swamps we'll never survive? Nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> <laughs> Just how how do you write lines like that, man? I want to know how. Uh, but yeah. Um, then we get into the fire swamps, and I have a bit of a vague sort of story about that, which is when they filmed the scene where Princess Buttercup's dress catches on fire. The first time they filmed that, the shot was ruined by William Goldman, who wrote the scene because he shouted out, ah, her dress is on fire, because he was so involved in the actual reality of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And forgot that it was meant to be on fire. Forgot that he actually wrote that that happens. (laughs) 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 Which I do love. I just, I can picture Rob Reiner being like, yeah, we know you wrote that. (laughs) It's meant to happen. We're doing Absolutely. what you told us to do. 
Exactly, yeah. Um, the, the rodents of unusual size. Uh, you'll appreciate this, Andy. How much do they look like something that came straight from classic Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking when it was all happening. <laughs> really? They're straight from the talons of Wang Chiang, really, aren't they? <laughs> oh, God, yes, they are. I, 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 I was just kind of like, well, at least they're not bubble wrap monsters, bad. <laughs> <laughs> they are actually uh, I did read they are actually people inside of those costumes uh, that that are having little people obviously um, and that one of them the one that has to bite Wesley apparently got blackout drunk the night before and almost didn't make it to filming because he was arrested by a policeman who didn't believe that he had to be in a hurry to get to work to play a giant rat <laughs> just, that's the sort that's of thing that belongs <laughs> that what just feels the- like part of, that just feels perfect for this film yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It seems to fit the tone of this movie. It, it just does, doesn't it? <laughs> All stories around this film have to be that level of ridiculous. I kind of love it. Um, yeah, so let's see where we are. We've had the quicksand and everything. Again, cool little sort of getting them through all the obstacles and the gauntlets. And uh, the, the prince then catches them, but Buttercup makes the deal for his life of, uh, you know, if you save Wesley and let him go, I'll, I'll go ahead. And then we find out what a jerk the prince is, Phil. When he says to basically just throw him in the pit of despair anyway. Um, I yeah. love that he just, oh, like, literally, Buttercup is stood right there. She's just <laughs> made him promise to not to, to spare his life. And then in front of her, seconds later, not even quietly, he just says, throw him in the pit of despair when we get back. Yeah, but I do love as well that the that um, Wesley sees right through it because... At the very end, when Rugen's like, "Come, let's get you to your ships," and he's like, "We're, we're beyond we're men of action. Yeah. Lives do not become us." Absolutely, yes, exactly, yes. I love, I love a man who knows exact wording. Perfect. <laughs> so there you go. So uh, yeah, I, I did make a note here. I think that I should have said earlier again the locations that they used for this film, and I'm not just biased because ninety percent of them are in England, but I think they're stunning. They just look incredible, as you guys yeah. have already said. And once oh, again, yes. the pacing is the pacing of the movie is excellent. It doesn't waste any moments of time. Uh, and now we get to uh, Wesley has been taken hostage in the pit of despair, and we're introduced to the man with albinism, as he's credited, I think, uh, played by the late great Mel Smith, who I always forget is in this movie. <laughs> It's only when he comes like sort of wobbling down those stairs. It's like, wait a minute, I know that person. It's like, yeah. Holy crap! It's Mel Smith. As of of uh, Smith and Jones, or possibly Mel and Kim fame for this type of year, rocking around the Christmas tree video and all that. <laughs> or Father Christmas, if you watch that, it's a good film as well. Little uh, mm-hmm. short film. But uh, yeah, th- this is genuinely my favourite joke in the movie because it's so ridiculous. Is that the way yeah, the character looks? Yeah, the way that he starts and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in." <coughs> Excuse me, you're in the pit of despair. And he just uses his normal voice. <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful undercutting. It works perfectly. Um, I was a bit sad to learn that Mel Smith never watched this film because he apparently had such a terrible experience filming because he had to have special contact lenses and they were apparently really painful. So he never wanted to relive it. I was like, oh, that's a shame. It's a really good movie, and he's great in it. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, then this is the kind of the weird scene, and it throws me every time when they say that you know Queen Buttercup is is married or going ahead with it, and the kids not believing it. You know, as it cuts to the narrative, and then you get the <laughs> the ancient booer that we referenced earlier, uh, who's really funny but so cuttingly accurate as well. And I just forget every time that that's just a nightmare. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I did as well. Like when we were watching it the other day, I said, 
I said, this isn't right. You just said that the king's dead. The king can't be dead because she kisses him later, doesn't she? Am I? <laughs> is this going to be another horse moment? And, uh, <laughs> I, I was really doubting myself for a bit and said, oh, no, it was a nightmare. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. But I do, I do like that the kids, like, when it's revealed to be a nightmare, he's like, you see, Grandpa? And <laughs> Peter Falk's performance of, yeah, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the I love the dynamic shift of the granddad being the one to want to read it and the boy not being interested to the boy then being extremely interested in the granddad being like, oh, for fuck's sake, do I have to keep going? Let me just, get on with it. Just let me get through the story. We've got a bus to catch in half an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, then in, in reality, outside of the dream, the prince says that he's going to call off the wedding and send his four fastest ships to find Wesley and Buttercup's believing it and everything, but... Again, I, I did remember that this was a complete lie because I remembered the clever um, reveal later that when he says, all of my ships will be there to celebrate, apart from your four fastest, and sees through it in that way, uh, which I just yeah. love. Yeah, I, I, was, I did make the note that at one point during the rewatch, I was like, I kind of wish Buttercup wasn't so much of a damsel in distress in this film. But I yeah. will say it's nice that she is at least like shown to be very smart. Yes. In like the way that she dresses down the prince and stuff, and like sees through him in in those moments. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, she starts off with... physical yeah. action, but she does have a lot of moments with words, which is yes. which is good. I think there's some subtle character growth as well because she starts off as a bit of a bitch. The way she's like, uh, "Hey, farm boy, get that for me, or get this for me, or whatever," and I'm like, "Yeah, she's kind of uh, I mean, not that, the most likable." That, that kind of disappears in the first couple of minutes, though. Once the Oh yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. it's basically love, isn't it? That, that develops it as becomes a running theme of the movie. But yeah, I, I love the fact that we just jumping back to the start, just because you just kind of mentioned it there. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that we literally get the whole relationship, at least prior to him becoming the Dread Pirate, in a few minutes. But yet we completely buy it because of the way mm. it's set, it's set and like shot and acted. What's yeah? What I what I said earlier as well. It's the chemistry I think is there between Carrie and Robin as well. It's it really is. I think anyway. So I believe it fully every time. And even when they are briefly together going through the swamp and stuff, it's I never doubt it. You know. So yeah, they, uh, they work really well off of and together with each other. Yeah, completely. Uh, but I do like that. Again, I thought it took longer to find out, but the prince was the one that hired Vasini to kill the princess, uh, and now he's just planning to kill her on her wedding night anyway. Um, which again leads to another of my favourite jokes because I kind of have very dark humour at times. So uh, when the king sort of says, I've got so much to do. Yes! I've got, I've got <laughs> I love this line. I, I made a note of it because it made me laugh so much last night. I don't think Go it ahead. made me laugh as much as it did last night before. But when he goes, oh, let me find it. Um, the, the whole exchange between yeah, well, Rugen yeah. and, and the prince outside the tree. When you said, mm. "Look, in, is that, I love to see." I love to see you. you know I, do. I have my country's five hundredth anniversary to organise my wedding to arrange my wedding to organise my wife to murder and someone to frame for it. I'm swamped. I'm and swamped. Just <laughs> <off>. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. We've all had Very days good. like that, haven't we? And the, <laughs> And then, and then, by contrast, we have like the first torture scene with Wesley right up next with the the machine, as it's Absolutely, called. Absolutely, yeah. That that was and my I, next note. And <laughs> I love how Count Rugen is just so polite throughout the whole thing. Absolutely. The, the next thing that I've written, I'm going to read out word for word because I've written torture machine. This is a bit kinky. Calm down, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, 
You know what it does. It does part? say it's sucking him. To be fair. You know what the funniest part is, though. I have a line that says, um, "Oh, where was it? Where was it?" I, oh yeah, the next note after the one about the I'm Hunt line is, "Oh yes, shirtless Wesley." <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the machine itself doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole idea of like sucking life out of you and whatever, but it fits the fantasy tone. So again, I don't really. Care. I, I, again, I, I made that note. I put, I never got how the machine worked as a kid. Still don't really get it as an adult, but it's absurd because it's absurd. But it works fine given the setting, and I love how polite and pleasant Count Rubin is during the whole exchange. Yeah, completely, absolutely. Um, uh, and I that was uh, right at the very end. It's like, now tell me how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> yes, exactly. I daresn't go over this. This we've just took one year off your life or whatever, and he's just so, yeah. But again, I made a note of a little moment that takes place in the next scene. So it's when uh, the prince is talking to, and I'm not sure what the guy is. It's like his assistant or something. Um, and it's so subtle, but they basically have a little dance where he puts his arm on the armrest, and then the prince shoves it off and puts his own arm on, and it's yeah. like <laughs> it's just physical comedy, and I'd love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, th- th- again, without explicitly stating, because the-, the film doesn't really stop and exposit loads of stuff, so he sort of explains he wants the forest emptied and sends the brute squad. Yeah, there's a Spaniard giving him trouble, and uh, Fezzik is on the brute squad, so it all comes together kind of nicely in that way. Uh, and I do love that it's a callback to the rhymes when Fezzik meets Inigo, and that's how he knows it's him, <laughs> which is great. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Callbacks. And I like that it's the narration that gives you the exposition. So that's how they kind of come together with their plan. And they know they have to get past the guards, but then ultimately they need the, the man in black as they know him. So just really good plotting, I think. So <laughs> um, we've mentioned already that I, I like, again, how clever Princess Buttercup is to see through the whole ship, except you're all fastest. Um, but then, yeah, because of like the, the prince's jealousy, and he causes Wesley to suffer and wax the machine up to 50 uh, and that is the sound of ultimate suffering, uh, as as Inigo says, and he knows that sound because it was the sound his heart made when his dad was dead, which is lovely, but it also makes no sense that he knows that only a man whose true love is getting married would feel that way because he doesn't actually know that. But again, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. uh, Just go with it. It's fine. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I did read about this scene as well, that uh, William Goldman, when writing the book, says that he was never intending to kill Wesley off, but he just found himself writing the words, he lay there dead. And then apparently, like, when he first wrote it, went off and cried for five minutes because he didn't, like, <laughs> he wasn't sure what was happening or what to do about it or what have you. So I was like, wow, that's intense. But, uh, yeah, I see where you're going with this. But, uh, that's yeah, why so you that, need a miracle. Absolutely. But it's also great that that kind of echoed in the kid because he just really doesn't like that. And he's like, he can't be dead, can he, grandfather? That's the, who gets, <laughs> who gets humperdink? <laughs> Yeah, and then the the grandpa revealing, without lying, which I love at the end, that uh, nobody gets Prince Umperdinck, he lives, and the kid's yeah. assumption that, oh, that means he wins. But again, as we find out, there's more truth to that than, than that. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I have to talk about this very next scene, which is the introduction of Billy Crystal and Carol Kane playing oh, Miracle Max and oh, Valerie. But Billy Crystal in this is just <laughs> such a perfect casting choice. They both are. I think they're both great. So, yeah, they go to buy the Miracle from Miracle Max. And just every bit of this, I, I can only assume a, a lot of it's probably improvised, but everything from 
you know, oh, I've seen worse to, oh, love is, love is the best thing apart from a good MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato salad. <laughs> The tomatoes are just so ripe. It's like, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> you're probably right. A lot of that is probably Billy Crystal just going with the yeah. flow, just riffing with whatever's given to him. Exactly. But on a sort of script level, I do love that he's looking for a noble course route. And then the very ultimate reveal is, oh, if you save him, Humperdinck will suffer. And it was him that kind of fired Miracle Max. So it's like, that's your noble course. You know? Yeah, it's, uh... right. that's it. I'm on the job. Absolutely. And again, famous lines that I had no idea where they were from until I saw the movie. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then again, slightly less famous, but just afterwards. Think they'll make it? They'll need a miracle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, the f- I love the fact that they uh, they sort of say that the prince is... That, sorry, not the prince. That Wesley was mostly dead rather than fully dead. Yeah. It's very... Uh, it gave me comedy lines of the, of the film when he's saying about uh, when they're mostly dead they can be brought back to life when they're yeah. all dead all you can, there's only one thing you can oh yeah with all dead there's only one thing you can do go through the stuff and look for loose chains yes exactly yeah I almost missed that one yeah absolutely um, but again I love the callback when he, he gets given the miracle pill and then obviously Wesley sort of comes back to life but he's flopping about all over the place and it says take it easy you've been mostly dead all morning <laughs> <laughs> and then even Plus, uh, it's, just, it's just great body comedy with oh, it's and great. Ego taking yeah. turns just flopping Wesley around to get him to where he needs to be. It's, Absolutely, it's and by so uh, by Carrie Elvis as well as I'm saying the way that he's just letting his head yeah. drop completely. I mean that that takes some doing, you know what I mean? So you've he's got to respect great acting it. on all of their parts, but it's so funny. Yeah, and I, again, but, I love. I don't know why, but in particular, the shot of like. Inigo trying to get him to see the guards, but because of the way his body is, he just sort of his head just rolls back so he can see, and then <laughs> yeah. just flops forward when they put him back on the ground. It's Absolutely, just so funny. Yeah. I love it's, the, it's everything. It's a little here. bit later. It's a little bit later, but the way that to, when Fezzik has to go help Inigo break the door down, which is so funny, because mm. Inigo's like slamming into the door like eight times, and then Fezzik just comes up and punches it, and it breaks. But when he leaves Wesley, he just sticks him in that suit of armor to hold on to. It's so stupid. Absolutely. Well, I, I do love that Fezzik is so optimistic because every time he moves, he's like, you see, you moved a finger. You moved your arm. That's got to make you happy. <laughs> so great. And underrated Mandy Patinkin comedy in the line when he's like, let me explain to you. No, it's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't have much time. Yeah, yeah which is great. So uh, I just, I, I love all this kind of, between these characters, it's again, great little chemistry and comedy moments. Uh, and then that brings us to another huge name cameo that I always forget about. Peter Cook appears in this movie. Mowage! <laughs> is what brings us to arrangement. <laughs> yes. I have Peter been Cook. to two weddings this year and both times this is all I could think of. <laughs> Which, the first one I went to, <laughs> I was at the <laughs> the ceremony was starting. The bride had just walked down the aisle. The registrar was at the end of it, about to start her speech. And in my little corner with my friend next to me, I just went, Mowage <laughs> is the most blessed of all arrangements. <laughs> and they started pissing themselves. <laughs> Did, did any of those weddings have an impressive clergyman? <laughs> I love that that's love what he's credited as. It's so funny. 
man, no, Peter's it, it, just it's legend. Ju- it's just iconic. It's so funny. At one point, he literally calls her like Princess Buttercup or something like that, and it's like, what? There's a, there's a line when he's, I can't remember what word he says, but he says a word where he actually is supposed to say W's and says R's, so he kind of flips where the lisp is. <laughs> it's just so weird, but kind of funny. Oh, um, yeah. it's, it's just so funny. I mean, we get into a lot of stuff here with um, the actual kind of, you know, t- plot development of sort of, well, why didn't you say we have a cloak and a wheelbarrow? And then like you like you referenced earlier, the whole idea of the cloak on fire that uh, Fezzik is inside of imitating Dread Pirate Roberts to scare them all away, which again, really clever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not something you would have seen coming, or I never do anyway. And then on a slightly less impressive, but even more funny note, the one guy with the key where it's like, a, I don't have a gate key. Fezzik rip his arms off. Oh, this key. Oh, this key. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I think it's just after this, but there's so many good comedy lines in this film, but the part just after Humperdinck kind of calls the wedding or like rushes through the ceremony and misses the key I do part. But mm. when he ends the ceremony and they're heading back to the bedroom or his his quarters and Buttercup turns around. To, it is Humperdinck's dad, isn't it? That king. The, the king. The yeah. king guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, goes, she goes, you've always been lovely to me. It's a shame this will be the last time I see you. I'll be killing myself when I get back to my suite. And he just goes, That's oh, nice. that nice? <laughs> he kissed me. me. It's, just, <laughs> it's so funny. It's ridiculous, but great. Absolutely. Um, but switching to Uncompletely, we get to my other, other favourite moment of the movie, which is uh, when Inigo encounters Count Rugen and, you know, you get the, hello, oh, my name is Inigo. That payoff is you, so good. The goosebumps I have. The fact that he's cowardly and just runs away. The music highlights every sort of sword move or banging against the door and whatever. Um, you know, the, the the knife in the stomach and the sorry father as Rugen brags and then the scene cuts away from that kind of, to give you that um, cliffhanger moment. So good. Uh, and then... Uh, to quickly cut away for a second, we get Buttercup with some awesome, sad Mark Knopfler music and the great line, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this <laughs> world. It would be a shame to tell you. Absolutely, which is such a great line that I love it. And I also love that And when reading about um, this film, I, I found out that there was plans a while ago to remake The Princess Bride because they'd come across the assets of producer Norman Lear or something. Uh, and it was almost universally just met with Sheer derision by everyone was yeah, like, What are you thinking about? Don't do it. And Carrie Elwes made one statement on the matter, and his matter was just, his statement was just, There's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a shame to ruin this one. Which I think was, That's just how you make a statement, really, isn't it? Just, that's, yep. That's wonderful. <laughs> Mic drop, absolutely. So, yeah, I love that. Switching back to my, my awesome moment, I like that Inigo virtually starts chanting his line, the whole, my name is Inigo Montoya, prepared to die. Got me really pumped up, and I love that uh, he returns exactly the wounds that were inflicted on him, the two shoulder wounds, the two yeah. cheek wounds, and then even the knife to the stomach at the end. Um, but my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite part of the movie is uh, offer me riches, offer me this, whatever. And uh, uh, yes, yes, anything you want. And then just the sheer goosebumps of, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. It's just it's so, so good. good. The payoff is amazing. That's a proper, yeah, moment really, isn't it? Yeah. It just, it, that, it really I, I, I love Count Rugen because he's just a ridiculously silly camp villain. But mm. that moment when Inigo finally gets gets him right in the gut, he's like, yes, that is, that's a satisfying way to, to take out the bad guy. Yeah, man. Mandy Patinkin as well. Such a good actor in this movie anyway. So, uh, yeah. 
So then we get the, the kind of explanation when Wesley's on the bed that, you know, you didn't you didn't say I do, so you didn't do anything. You're not really married. Isn't that right? Your highness. And then switch to him, obviously revealing uh, he's in the room. And this whole scene of to the death, no, to the pain. And then the sheer insult and the horrific sort of, uh, no, your ears, I will leave because... I'll cut everything off yeah. and you'll look like a horrible, <laughs> ugly mess. <laughs> the I, I kid love, screams. <laughs> I, I yeah. love that the prince just keeps trying to like get Wesley to hurry up and he's like, yes, and then my tongue, I know. And he's like, no, I will tell you what happens next. And it's, it's so good. It's, and to say that he, well, I mean, obviously Carrie Ellis could move, but like for the sake of the role of the character in that moment, because he's not supposed to be able to move, I love how well he acts it with just his like eyes. Yeah, we well, really well done. Well, he even says so, doesn't he? Maybe I can't move and uh, I'm just absolutely bluffing. But then he actually does stand up and the music swells. And it's again that yeah. key moment of like, yay. And the fact that he's tied up and you, you get the reveal of, oh, I want him to live a long life alone with his cowardice. So, yeah, the grandpa wasn't lying. Nobody kills him. Um, and then, yeah, again, just a quick ending. Fezzik rocks up with four horses. We don't care where they're from. And there's some sweet moments between, you know, I won't let it get to my head as uh, he praises Fezzik <laughs> and then. Uh, Inigo sort of saying, I've lived with revenge for so long. What do, what do I do next? And uh, have you considered piracy? You'd make a great Dread Pirate Roberts, you know? It's just great. So, yeah. And then again, I've alluded to it already, but the whole, you don't want to hear this, it's kissing, and now the kid doesn't mind. And then it's described as like, there's been the most epic kiss in all of creation. Yeah, it's like, since the creation of kissing, there have been five kisses that were ranked as the most passionate kisses ever experienced, and they yeah. topped all of them or something like that. <laughs> Yes, the number one was that uh, unseen time when Andy met Carrie West, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that, again, the, the ending bookmarks the film with the kids saying, you could come back and read tomorrow if, if you want, Grandad. And the perfect ending of him saying, as you wish, which is basically him saying, I love yes. you to his grandson. I so good. I love literally everything in this film has a perfect full circle. Yep. Like the payoff <laughs> of the dread the, the dread pirate Roberts explanation gets paid off because then he gives it to Inigo, and mm -hmm. then the the uh, resolution of the Inigo and Count Rugen plotline and the As You Wish and oh, it's just it's all so good. This it film really is amazing. Is. I love this film so much. <laughs> I love that it has old-fashioned sort of British sitcom type starring screens for everyone yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, shout out to the song Storybook Love by Mark Knopfler, which is so good, which is the song playing over these uh, end credits as well, which uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So yeah. Um, did you guys have any last notes before we jump to uh, conclusions and whatnot? That was one thing that I forgot to mention from a cinematography point of view. Oh, go for um, it. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, back when uh, Inigo and Fezzik were going to find um, Wesley, the man in black, when he was strapped to the machine the, mm. uh, after he'd been like set to 50. And <laughs> um, Inigo's just there in the woods, he gets his sword out, and he's like, down on his knees and he calls to his father to help guide his sword. And the, the shot is one of the most beautiful shots in the entire film. It's that low angle, looking mm. up at him with the light streaming in behind him. Just yes. Listening off of the sword. That is such yep. a wonderful shot. And There's so many shots the, like that, yeah. Then you have the absurdity of him actually using his sword like a fucking compass, and it's so funny. <laughs> and it and sticks the, into the tree. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you think it's like, oh, it just went into a tree, and then it turns out that it actually did do what it wanted it to, he wanted it to do, and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> It's great, but there's so many scenes like that. As I said, the scene that struck me for the first time was the scene of 
Wesley and Buttercup's first kiss on the sort of hilltop with the sunset. It's yeah. just so it, it, it could be a painting. That is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Uh, so we will jump straight to the conclusions in that case uh, and the score out of five. So uh, since we started introducing you first, Phil, why don't you go first for your conclusion and your score? Very well. Um, it's even though it's easy to forget that this can be classed as a Christmas film. Um, mm-hmm. It's setting at the time of year doesn't really matter. This is a perfect film to just stick on and watch any time of year, whether it's you know mid July, late December. It's just one of those nice. It's a like random a, Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> a random Tuesday in February. Why not? Uh, but it's, it's just a, as much as I can think of describing anything like this. It's a film that just feels like a nice warm hug. You mm. put it on. It, it's it's something safe and fun that's going to entertain you. You know the bad guy's going to get sorted out in the end, and you can just sit there, relax, and just roll with the silliness. And it's easily a five out of five for me. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Andy, then, do you want to give us your conclusion? Let me just and sc- unlock my screen so I can read <laughs> the conclusion I have. Fair uh, enough. So I thought, <clears throat> conclusion. I just adore this film and everything about it. It's just utter perfection. The acting is a perfect blend of serious and camp that lends itself sublimely to the comedy that runs throughout the entire film. Carrie Elwes in particular is astonishing as Wesley. The casting choices across the board are pretty much perfect. The direction is simple yet effective with some beautiful establishing shots of settings and scenery, particularly during the first half, as well as some beautiful close-up shots, such as the kiss or, like Phil mentioned, the Inigo shot with the sword. Uh, there's too many iconic scenes to count, but the sword fight between Wesley and Inigo is probably the standout for me. The choreography, acting, and pacing are perfect. The action is exciting and fun, and the constant comedy just adds to it. The cutting back to the granddad reading the book to his grandson is a perfect way to keep the film grounded in reality and allow it to get away with uh, allow the story to get away with the, with its absurdities in a very clever way. Brackets. I also love that the same thing happens in the book. Uh, it's just a phenomenal feel-good film that strikes its balances perfectly. It doesn't take itself too seriously as it works, which works absolutely in its benefit, and it's highly entertaining from start to finish. Easy five out of five for me. It's one of my top three films of all time, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Awesome. Uh, fair enough. Uh, we've delayed it long enough, so the moment of truth, I have to give you my conclusion. Yes, then, yes, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and then overall for the podcast. So, my conclusion. <clears throat> Uh, Something really special, I guess there's a chance it may not connect with everyone, but it hits for me on every level. The film captures the feel of a fairy tale like you remember from youth or feelings of love, adventure and whimsy. There's a kind of magical touch at work that makes everything shine from performances to music to mise-en-scene to plot and dialogue. There's expert direction from a highly underrated director who has, in my opinion, made some of the legitimate best movies ever, including this. Uh, brimming with effervescent charm, sparkling chemistry, highly quotable and funny while still pulling you in to get you really invested. There's a shortage of perfect films in the world, but this is definitely one for me. And uh, I also said five out of five. Way! So, is again, this the first perfect scorer? Um, I'm not sure. It may be. Uh, no, we, I did include the Spider-Man 2 review, which also got a perfect score. <laughs> but uh, but, yeah, but so. that was only between two people. No, no, it was three of us because oh, it was me and okay. uh, it was me and the MCU corner to corner podcast, which, to be fair, was probably a bit biased having us all review it. But oh, yeah, okay, so fair. 
again, uh, yeah, that makes the obviously the uh, the overall podcast score five out of five, perfect score. So I think we all thoroughly recommend this film. And shout out to uh, my friend Beverly Road, who clearly knows me really well because she knew that I would love this film. And when I finally got around to watching it, I absolutely did. So thanks, Bev, for doing that uh, for me. So you guys want to shout out uh, your social medias or anywhere people can find you and stuff? Um... Well, I'm, I'm stretching, yes. <laughs> Phil, you I go first. To make it about you. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you can find me um, at Crazy Pilf. Don't ask. Um, but on, on pretty much anything. YouTube, I feel like that could but... sum our relationship up perfectly. Just, well, don't just ask. don't ask. Yeah. Don't ask. Don't, don't worry about it. That's that's become it, my my Is that, is that your is that your it. version of I'll explain later? <laughs> pretty much. It's just don't ask. Don't ask. Don't worry. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> crazy Pilf on pretty much everything. Twitter, YouTube, the bottom of the biscuit barrel, wherever you may want to find me. Usually the bottom of the biscuit barrel. Um, everywhere else I lurk and maybe interact on the odd occasion, as the other two can probably attest. Um, Andy? Yes? Hello. Go ahead. Do you want to uh, explain where people can find you and stuff if you're finished, presumably staring at pictures of uh, Carrie Elwes as Wesley? <laughs> uh, so you can find me in Sheffield. Uh, since that's <laughs> sorry, I'm in a silly mood now. Uh, no, you can find me at uh, just Andy Kent ninety six on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Kent Plays on Twitch, which I haven't streamed on for over six months, but. As of recording, I'm planning on possibly streaming as soon as we wrap up because I've missed it and there's a game I really want to stream. Um, uh, what was I going to say? What other socials do I have to promote? I've forgotten. Well, um, then you can also you can also catch um, if you just YouTube, just type in "We Pay for Your Floor" podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go to at WPY. W P F Y whatever the initials of that are W P F Y F there you go yeah so yeah you can you can catch you can catch me and Phil over on our podcast which is we pay for your floor we do that with our very good friend and upstairs neighbour Sarah we just do silly shit and it's a laugh and it's great fun and Phil's editing is top notch even if he won't admit it. Oh, it's um, great and hilarious, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, so I live by my by my motto. I am a purveyor of mediocre nonsense, and that is probably <laughs> peak we pay for your floor, is just mediocre nonsense. I, I, I beg to differ, it's not mediocre, but it is nonsense. Oh, you're too kind, so yeah. if, you ever, if you want to see a 30-year-old man obsessed with Pingu, we've got you. <laughs> we've got you, man. This, this is what we bonded over. Phil and I share this in common. Pingu's great, man. Pingu is great. <laughs> And just you wait till series two starts because I have plans. For do you know? The, do you know what Phil's favorite episode of Pingo is, Mike? Do you know what Phil's favorite episode of Pingo is? Oh, is it the one where he cuts the hole in the ice and goes fishing? No, of course it's Ooh, the one where he can't. That's piss. a good one. I have. Oh, I was going to go or the one, the one where they're at like a weird school and he's pulling the fish up and then they're stapling it to the blackboard for some reason. That I love one, that episode. That one was weird. <laughs> Another one that always confused me. That, um. The school trip to just the big snow whale. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was so weird, but it, that it was, was what appealed, I think. Um, oh, bless. Then, then of course, there's the, the episode that got banned with the Nightmare Walrus. <laughs> okay, that one is terrifying, though. That was an interesting turn. 
It is. I do as well. If you haven't seen it, do seek out. Somebody has actually made a Pingu version of the movie The Thing, which is just chef's kiss, really. Because it's, it's just the plasticine Pingu stylings, but with the, the messed up special effects of The Thing. You have to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's correct. I, I, so. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> oh god thanks Mike. <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're streaming you won't care but uh, yeah you can you can find me at iron mike wilson on twitter just my name michael wilson everywhere else uh the podcast is at podcast underscore screen which you can probably see on the screen right now and join us next week for the last episode of this series and the last before the holidays uh, where i will be joined by at kelly's encanter aka the last centurion uh, another doctor who fan on twitter <laughs> Um, and he and I will be reviewing Die Hard for our big Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> so, the Christmas that, movie. That Christmas film, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, I yeah. have a confession. I've never yeah. seen Die Hard. <sighs> well, watch it before our podcast, and then you can listen to us as, as your I've initial seen experience. Bits. I know Alan Rickman falls from a roof and looks majestic. Spoilers! Spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> Yes, awesome. <laughs> I'll talk about that uh, in the podcast. I have a funny story regarding that. But yes, in the meantime, I just wanted to say thank you to Andy and Phil for joining me. We'll have to get you and maybe even Sarah back to do a review sometime if we uh, if we go into it uh, next year with the film podcast. Anytime catching up with you guys is great. So I hope you're having a fantastic Christmas. Merry Christmas to you Merry uh, and to Christmas, all the listeners. <laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all. Yes, God bless us, everyone. And uh, yeah, join us again next week for the last episode of this series. And oh, yes, one last uh, bit of business then. Uh, and that is the regular audience response section. Uh, as usual, I put a message onto my social media just asking, you know, what are your thoughts on the movie The Princess Bride? When did you first see it? Do you find it magical or overrated? Share opinions below. Uh, just, just a handful of responses that I got. Um, the very first was from David G at B Datri Angle, who just says another of those quote unquote cult hits that I honestly haven't seen a minute of. Weird, I know. Uh, Steve Wassling at Simmerad. Hi again, uh, buddy. Uh, says very much enjoyed it. Not sure when I first saw it. Quoted it far too much. Uh, the next one, keep chewing bubblegum and put these on by uh, aka at I am the Joe Diaz uh, says I remember enjoying it but haven't seen this in a long while I shall put this on my rewatch list uh, at Sean Fruit said first saw as a kid and stayed for the swords and ROUSs kept rewatching through my whole life peeling through a new onion layer and getting a little more weepy every time the depth of sentiment and mix of comedy is priceless uh, at Philly's okayest lawyer says, I don't recall a time in my life when I had not seen it. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I recently was fortunate enough to see a screening in a theatre, followed by a live Q&A with Carrie Elwes that was just magnificent. Great guy. Awesome experience. That sounds fantastic. Just slightly jealous of you for that. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. Uh, at Dr. Twelfth says, Magical. We were just talking about this movie in the morning. My eldest, eldest and myself have watched it and we just quoted it a lot. Both of us also had this movie as a slumber, par ah, slumber party fave with most just quoting this throughout. We have a plan to watch this with my youngest. Awesome. Uh, yeah, educate the next generation in it. Awesome. Uh, at Michael Sheehan says, I first saw this movie in the 90s and it was magical. I even liked the sword fights. And of course, Andre the Giant was cool to see in the movie. Of course, agreed. Uh, at Pappy underscore 1701 says, The first time I saw it, I didn't get it. I wondered what the big deal was. However, after watching it again, I found I loved it. It's a favourite now. 
Uh, and finally, <laughs> Laura's long-lost cousin uh, says, I saw it in sixth grade English class as part of a unit we had on screenwriting. I fail to understand why it's considered a must-see, so I guess you could say I think it's overrated, but I like it overall. Certain moments live in my head rent-free, and they shared a gif of the rodents of unusual size. So, uh, yeah, slightly mixed, but certainly no negatives, I think, there. So... Yeah, um, it's, I would say it's still a very popular movie, and uh, obviously our rating speaks for itself with a perfect score. So thank you so much yet again to Andy and Phil for joining me on what I believe has been probably one of my best recordings and fantastic episode. Uh, we'll have to have you those, uh, have you back as guests again, and uh, maybe some of these ideas we've been floating about off uh, off air. And uh, yeah, so everyone, hope you're having a fantastic holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, we will be back next week, as I said, and uh, in the meantime, in the epic words of Arnie, I'll be back. In the epic words of Arnie, I'll be back.